You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben Hall with DreamLab Studio. How's it going, Vadim? It's going all right. It's going all right. We are we are podcast machines lately, man. We are just uh, we are cranking these <laughs> things out. Yeah, we are. I don't even know what day it is anymore. <laughs> we just keep just hammering these. <laughs> but it's all good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's fun. Yeah, we're uh, getting to talk to a lot of cool people, especially today. I know we're we're talking to a guy we've both been fans of for a long time. Our guest is Yesko Lohan of Acoustics Insider. And Yesko is a mix engineer who kind of developed into into this niche of being an acoustics expert. And he really is an expert. I think, as you guys will hear from this episode, both Ben and I really learned a lot. As you guys get more and more into recording or mix engineering or producing, whatever you're doing out there, eventually you're going to run into this hurdle called acoustics and just figuring out how how sound travels in your space and capturing it because uh, it inevitably, your room, whatever you're recording in, is going to color, as we call, air quotes, color your sound. And so for a lot of us, um, it's, it's helpful to try to figure out what can we do to minimize that or mitigate that. And the interesting thing about Yesco is he didn't just do that. He wanted to understand at a fundamental microscopic level how this actually works, which is such a beast. You feel, I mean, in some ways you would think intuitively that this can't be that complicated because I'm an expert at listening to things my whole life, right? <laughs> we, we all do it all day, every day. But it is surprisingly complicated and it involves a lot of physics getting down to the fundamentals and understanding how all this stuff works. So it was really just a joy and a privilege to have him on the show and kind of demystify a lot of these things. There's definitely some areas of confusion that I had, which Yesco helped clear up for me. Specifically, the, one of the big areas of confusion for, for me was the relationship between the thickness of a porous media absorber versus the density, where I thought that density had something to do with how low of a frequency you could control. And it turns out it's really just thickness that has to do with how low of a frequency you can control. Density just affects the efficiency of the absorber. So that's just one of the like the nuggets that I took away r- r- written down in my little notebook here. Uh, what about you, Ben? What were some of the things you took away? I was worried that maybe I could have too much um, acoustic absorption in my room and then suck out all the high frequencies and... He really kind of helped. He helped me get my head around what's actually happen, happening. And essentially, to give you guys a spoiler, um, you don't have to worry about it too much. But he not only just tell, told me don't worry about it, but he helped to explain in a really, in a really easy to understand way too. That's the cool thing about Yesco as well is that he has all this information, but he's really good at explaining it and distilling it down into these nugget-sized bits of information that really anybody can understand. Yeah, totally agree. He's a- just a super nice guy to boot. If you didn't listen to the Acoustics 101 episode yet, probably go listen to that first if you're completely new to it. Uh, but we got into some really interesting topics, like, for example, how is 
treating a recording room or how are your acoustical considerations for a recording room different than they would be for a mixing room, we talk about some basic strategies for knowing when you have a problem. And Yesco has a kind of very clear approach to to uh, knowing what to listen for there. And we talk about some basic treatments that you can apply to your room, kind of what you need to worry about and what you don't need to worry about. Because there, there's a lot of really intimidating sounding stuff in acoustics. And uh, like you said, Yesco is really, really good about demystifying, demystifying this stuff. And we also took, we also answered questions we got in the Facebook group. Yeah, so that was really cool. If you ask the question uh, in the Facebook community on that thread, then you probably got your question asked on the episode. Yes, and Yesco has been kind enough to put together a really awesome free resource. You could check that out in the show notes. It's going to be kind of a, a Cliff's Notes guide of a lot of the stuff we covered on the episode and what you need to think about in your room. So rather than uh, taking notes, which uh, you can still take notes if you want, but <laughs> this uh, this PDF is going to uh, to be your friend, and he's been kind enough to make it available to our community, so definitely check that out. Yeah, and without further ado, uh, here's Yesco. Yesco Lohan, welcome to the DIY Recording Guys podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. Awesome. So I actually found out about you and Acoustics Insider through Ben. He was telling me offline, like, hey, of the email lists I'm subscribed to, this is one of the only ones where I still regularly open emails from. <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. That's and awesome. I was like, man, yeah. that's, that's high praise from Ben. So I'm going to check it out. Oh, sweet. <laughs> and so instantly I was kind of hooked onto your, your content because you have this your whole philosophy is solutions that actually work without all the voodoo. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want in every aspect of my life. I want blank (laughs) that works without all the voodoo. (laughs) Yeah. So you're making this really great content. So that was the first like epiphany I had was, okay, this is your content is really powerful, but it's really accessible. Right. Thanks. The second revelation I had was I thought I had a good grasp of basic acoustics knowledge. And when I got your, uh, your free ebook, right. I was like, man, I was really humbled. I was like, I am just scratching the surface. So, <laughs> so I'm excited to keep digging in. So we have a lot of questions Sweet, for you. Cool. We're very excited to have you on. Before we do that, maybe just give our listeners a little bit of background on how you got into music and then eventually how you came to focus on acoustics. Sure, sure. I mean, like I guess most uh, people listening and you guys as well, I started playing the piano, I guess, in this case, when I was six or seven years old, played like I had piano lessons for ages. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, but I haven't played in 20 years now. So like my, I, I would say my te- technique is great and I don't know a single song. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and, and like through high school, I played the drums in a band, like we were in a, in a terrible, terrible rock band, <laughs> but that was, that was tons of fun. And, um, but then I went on and studied, uh, aerospace engineering actually, and kind of did that for a while, but I kept producing music on the side, like electronic music mainly, um, which I started when I was like, yeah, 13 years old, maybe back in, that was with, with reason, propeller reason, mm. like version three or something. I have no idea what version they're on right now. Maybe it was even version 2.5. I don't know. Who cares? But, um, <laughs> and, uh, so I kept doing that throughout university and I really enjoyed that. And, uh, once I kind of finished, uh, my, my degree, um, I decided that, you know what, I really want to kind of combine music and engineering. Um, and so I kind of went, came to, came to Berlin, to Germany and then studied 
uh, again, kind of pivoting into something else. So I studied something called uh, audio communication and technology here, which was, as I said, bridging that gap between the two, um, music and engineering in this case. And um, But I started mixing at the same time. That was, I think it was when, when Pensado's place uh, first mm. started. I mean, that show has been on the air for a while now. Uh, but yeah. they were the first people where... Uh, or the like the Pensado show was the first time I kind of realized that people were getting paid to mix, purely mix. You know? And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I can, I'd like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that was because it was always the part in the in the whole production process that I enjoyed the most. And I was kind of, it was most natural to me. And so uh, at some point I was just like, you know what? Like I'm never going to be a, like a top tier producer, but I can be a pretty decent mixer. And mm. so, uh, so I kind of... Tr- tried that in quotation marks for a while and that developed fairly well for for uh, yeah fairly quickly as well and so i did that for a few years but then like the the engineer nerd in me got obviously got interested in in, in the acoustics when that kind of first popped up in my field of view and um and as many people i kind of just started experimenting in my 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 back my this was my bedroom back in those days still uh, and mm. and then just like my spare bedroom and i kept going and people uh, enjoyed or like they liked what i did what it sounded like in my room and so so they stay asked me if i can do the same for them and that's how i kind of started doing doing treating rooms for people helping people here in berlin in that home project studio uh, kind of field, you know, and those in those rooms that were never really meant for that purpose, um, and um, yeah, and then at some point um, that kind of grew as well side by side with the mixing, and at some point I realized, you know what, I can probably teach people how to do this uh, as well because a lot of people were actually asking me whether they they, they whether I could teach them, and for the for the time there, I was I, I never always said no, but then. At some point, I realized, you know what, this is this is probably a good idea because obviously I can reach a lot more people, and I'm getting a lot of requests. And at these in this kind of home studio, project studio, budget bracket, it's it's fairly difficult to do this outside of your city, you know. And when people ask you just from another city, which is like I don't know, hundred miles away, and you can't do it because the the budget won't allow it, um, that's that's it's kind of kind of hard to expand to grow, you know. And so. That's when I when I started Acoustics Insider, and um, yeah, and that's been growing steadily ever since, and uh, is now my my full time job basically. I do still do like a mix here or there once a month, but um, that's kind of the, the my my main focus now. Mm. In, I'm curious in your own journey, what kind of brought acoustics to the to the forefront of your mind? What made you realize that it's something you should start thinking about? Definitely. It, it just nerdy curiosity on mm. one side because mm. uh, it was we did we did have uh, at least one uh, I guess seminar at university back in Berlin here uh, when I when I did that audio communications thing um, so that just piqued my interest to just because I don't know I just found it interesting and then but then obviously mixing my own music um, I realized just how hard it is you know like mm. I can't. I can't hear shit, you know, basically, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. the standard thing where you're just like, you're, you're late at night, you're up, you're mixing a song, you know, you're just like, this is, this is the bomb, you know? Yeah. And then, and then you wake up the like more next morning, super excited, you know, like you turn on your computer, you put it up and you're just like, what the fuck was I doing? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and those moments where you just want to kind of shoot yourself and you have no idea what's going on. Um, those definitely inspired me to look into acoustics, you know? Nice. Okay. Okay. Going along with that too, um, 
and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but how did you weed through all the information on the internet or how did you go about discovering what the right thing to do was? was sure. Would you attribute that to your technical background? Also, also, I mean, I, uh, like most people, I initially got most of my information online, but then very quickly mm. I had bought my first acoustics book mm. and it was a, like a mm. kind of a very slim hundred page book but surprisingly good. I still go back to it every once in a while. It's in German, so it probably won't help much if I mention it here. To be honest, I can't really remember what it's called at the moment anyway. Mm-hmm. And I realized um, that it's just much better to go back to 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 like first like the, the source of the information, you know, instead of just reading about mm-hmm. reading people discussing the information mm. to just go and actually yeah. seek out the, the the information itself, you know? And so... Uh, very quickly, I realized also just how painful it is to read through a lot of the stuff on the internet. And the more I learned, the quick, the more I realized that oftentimes it um, it goes off on tangents that are uh, are very, can be very unhelpful, you know, because mm. they're they're discussing things that they that aren't they like the people discussing it don't fully understand. And so there are a lot of like opinions and like interpretations. That get thrown around and can, it can be can be pretty confusing and distracting, and so um, yeah. So I, I the, the more I dove into it, the more I I just based myself on on academia and like getting the getting the textbooks. And obviously, as you learn more, you can kind of upgrade to more difficult textbooks and, and dive in deeper. And um, so that's that's kind of where I how I get my information now. Because uh, I mean, I I look at I look at what the like the super high end people are doing as well like people who are just kind of at the edge of of uh, of of research right now and and um uh to see what i can pick up you know to see how they approach things what they put their focus on because obviously this is a fairly young field in a way i mean studio acoustics Mm -hmm. has been been around for uh, i don't know like 60 70 years maybe and like then with the 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 expansion of the the frequency spectrum of music down from like mm. 80 hertz down to like 30 hertz in the last yeah. 20 30 years you know that that just uh, brought a whole lot of trouble into the whole thing and so this is a fairly new field there's still a lot of research going on it's a very narrow field it's a very niche field as well right so um mm. there's still a lot of stuff happening a lot of the developments um things get get out are are often or get outdated and you kind of want to kind of want to know what's what's actually going on you know and uh, especially for like for us guys who are working on a budget and we really want to make sure where we're getting the most out of it you know how do we focus on the stuff that is guaranteed to work you know what what is stuff that you need and what is stuff that is nice to have and what is stuff that mm. maybe is just uh doesn't actually work or is is just for our budgets impossible to do you know mm. just because the, the money and the time isn't there you know so yeah, I think that yeah that that <laughs> that story of uh, going to bed and then waking up excited about a mix and being disappointed is definitely one I can relate to. And especially back in the day when I used to actually have to burn the mix onto a CD yeah. and go listen to Ugh. it in my car, only then to be disappointed and to have wasted a CD. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know what you're talking about there. And and same thing with forums is like yeah, I think you know my all time favorite forum response is just use your ears. Like that's not very yeah. helpful to somebody who's no. just starting out. So. I think you have a, a really good approach there. So for, for a lot of our listeners who are you know DIY musicians and they're looking to record and get the best quality recordings they can get, sure. maybe they're writing songs, maybe they have a space in which they rehearse. When is the right time and what is the right approach for starting to consider acoustics 
in your space? Well, I mean, the right time is when you realize that you've kind of hit, hit a ceiling with the sound in the recordings that you're, you're doing, you know? Um, I mean, it's, it's always worth mentioning that, mm. especially in a recording scenario. You, there's a lot you can get out of the room just by very deliberately placing your performers and microphones and using the right microphone and, and just like really diving deep just on that end of, of recording or that aspect of recording, you can really mitigate a lot of the stuff that the room does. But if you realize that uh, it's just uh, like for, I mean, the most obvious one is if, if you can hear that the, the room is always part of that sound that you're, you're getting and you don't particularly like it, or on top of that, it's, it's, it's maybe just, uh, uh, it's just a bad sounding space uh, in your in your in your music you know it doesn't give the kind of the emotional uh context that you want or, or on top of that if uh, oftentimes it's very inflexible like if you get if you record in a small room and and that that gets imprinted on those recordings um it's there's there's it's very difficult as a from a from a post-processing perspective as a mixer to to take that into a different direction you know i mean we have mm -hmm. all those those uh de-reverb plugins nowadays but they work to they work surprisingly well, but they can't cure uh, a, like a very, for example, very small room sound like those mm. early reflections. That what happens right after um, the the direct sound hits the the microphone. You know those first few milliseconds. Um, that re if th that imprint is 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 always going to be there, and it's very very hard to to get rid of. You know, and so. If uh, if you if you notice that in your recordings and if it's painful to kind of <laughs> listen to and you're just like, ah, you get that, you know, that frustration. And and then in a, in a, oftentimes when you're when you're if you're if you're in a practice room with your band and you realize that it's actually very hard to play in that room because it's such a mush, mm. you can't hear each other properly. You know, you kind of try to out volume out loud the other person stuff like yeah. that you know those are all things i mean uh, that 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 you can not just improve yeah improve yeah you can improve but like you can really make your life so much more pleasant and so much more fun if you just do some very basic treatments uh in in, in the room that you play and record in yeah and i i think we've all probably had that experience of like just especially in bass guitar right and ben you're a bass player so you could probably attest to this but there's definitely yeah. rooms you play in whether it's a live situation or a practice situation where the low end is just this big ooh, and you can't hear the individual notes why mm -hmm. is that oh yeah why is that a problem in that frequency range as opposed to somewhere higher right right so at that point we need to start talking about something called room modes or standing waves um, and these are these. This is an uh, a, a an acoustic effect that is that you that happens in small rooms, acoustically small rooms. And what basically happens is when the wavelengths are so long that they exactly fit in the dimensions of the room, so they kind of reflect back on top of themselves and they start like amplifying each other and also canceling each each other out. And you basically get these these standing waves they're like they're or another word for them is resonances i think the best way to describe them or to understand what we're talking about is like uh, if you like a like ringing a bell like a standard church bell you know that will more or less ring at one frequency right but mm -hmm. you kind of hit it and de de depending on its geometry it likes to kind of vibrate at a certain frequency yeah that that particular 
mechanical motion in the material likes to kind of drag on, you know, because of how it's how it's put together. And that's it's the kind of the same effect and uh, that you get in rooms at low frequencies. And so these lower frequencies not only um, will, 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 will add up or cancel each other out in different parts of the room, but they will also like carry on playing. They will ring out for much longer than hmm. if uh, at a different frequency where you don't get one of these room modes or standing waves. And so you get that twofold problem in frequency where, where you basically you 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 are you are you are you might get a, a real strong amplification at one frequency or you it might just be cut out depending on where you put the microphone in the room um and you get that time aspect where the the room just the sound just lingers on and and that that obviously makes the decay of the sound that you're recording uh, kind of ma- it masks that that sound and it uh, and it um it makes it very difficult to judge what what you're hearing but also what you're playing if you're kind of playing in that kind of uh, scenario you know where different frequencies in your room at these low frequencies can just just ring out and 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 just make a mess of things you know Mm. what first jumps to my mind when you're talking about this from both a recording and mixing perspective and a performer perspective probably the performer first is as the bass player if you're in a room that has some of those deep standing waves um, from the bass player's perspective, it's all sub, and you can't hear the articulation of maybe the higher frequencies that you're playing. Oh yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective as a bass player, I want to turn it up because I think it's there not loud enough, even though <laughs> yeah. it's blasting, and everybody else in the band is like, dude, the bass is, or the, or the mixing engineer out at front of house is like, dude, turn the bass down on stage. Yeah. But... It's important, I think, to recognize that it's not a volume problem. It's the substanding wave problem yeah. of those sub-frequencies that mm. you can't hear, but you feel. Yeah, yeah. The volume is like a, a symptom of the acoustical problem. It's like what you're, yeah. what you're trying to use to cure the problem. As you, as you can't hear yourself properly, you're trying to compensate that by turning it up. You know? And it's one of the indicators for you guys out there listening if you're trying to figure out <clears throat> whether you should do some treatment in your room, that's one of the one of the very good indicators that you can look out for. It's like if you're constantly trying to turn up the volume because you can't hear what's going on, mm. that's a, mm. a sign that your room is messing with uh, with the sound to an extent that it is actually uh, destructive to your workflow. You know? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like getting drunk to cure a headache. Yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> you're not. A, it'll help a little bit, but you're not solving the problem. So, so you mentioned. You know, I like what you said a lot there. With maybe the right time to start thinking about it is when it becomes a pain point. So maybe before we even dive into acoustic treatment, talk about those placement considerations. Let's say you're in just a standard four piece band or something like that. Are there any rules of thumb? I know it would be space dependent, but like where you would or wouldn't want to put something like a drum kit or a bass amplifier. Um, to be, to be frank, like this is, uh, I don't have enough experience with recording to really give you proper advice on that. It's like, mm. I mean, my, my mm. focus has really been mixing, so I can't say much to it, but from a theoretical or from an experience point of view, but from a, like a, like from a theory perspective, uh, yeah, where to start? Um, I think from a bait for, for bassist, um, it's, it's probably not helpful to put your, your cab like right in the corner, for example, yeah, close to close to surfaces you'll always get a a a a, uh, a bass boost 
Mm. And that that you get more of that the the more kind of surfaces are close to your close to your speaker, right? And so this isn't. I mean, it's an effect. I always like. I always like a lot of this stuff can be compensated for. Like something like something like this. If you get that bass boost, you could boost. You could obviously just turn down the bass on the EQ afterwards. You know, like with a shelving EQ, it's not that big of a deal. But on some some songs on one side, you kind of want to be aware of it. That if you put your speaker, your your cab, your 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 speaker right up to the wall or even in a corner it's going to give you a massive bass boost you know mm. and um and that's something you just need to be aware of it might be something that you you kind of use creatively mm. you know um mm-hmm. but if you if you're if you're kind of recording clean in quotation marks and you want to like keep your options open at that point it's probably worth for example taking that away from the wall just because you get that bass boost as you put you know, the speaker closer and closer to the wall yeah that's one cool. aspect of it um in terms of in terms of drum drum kit placement um i mean in theory you'd again want to probably get some distance from surfaces uh, to like to 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 delay out any any like reverb coming back from that any reflections coming back from that but again, this is something that I know a lot of people who will deliberately put their snare, set it up so it's like three feet from the wall, you know, so you get that slap back and they mm. actually it's part of the sound and they actually like it, you know. Mm. Um, but I think I mean, there's so much that's the thing, like with 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 recording rooms, there's it's it's pure art, you know, like the sound mm. you get. It's pure art. There are like obviously tools that you use the, the, but the, the, to, to get the sound that you want. But the goal is is purely subjective. Well, I think you kind of touched on it on the end there um, that there is a difference between treating a room for mixing versus treating a room for recording. Totally, yeah, it's a distinct, different thing, and I think that that's lost sometimes whenever you first dive into this acoustics thing. I know it was lost on me for a long time. I just thought there was a general thing that I should do with every room that I'm doing something music related in. Right, right. Yeah, you also said at the end there, you know, it's it's pure art in a recording situation. So, you know, I, I take do the thing I said I hate, but like, yeah, you walk around and listen and like a cool thing. I know people will put like a guitar amplifier in a big hallway to get like a crappy hall reverb effect, right? And like that could work aesthetically for what you're doing. So, I th- you know, I think it goes back to what you said before, which is listen to what that the acoustics of the room are doing for your sounds and then maybe address the problems that come up. No, yeah, I mean, just to add on top of that, I think the this, I mean, you just mentioned it uh, before, uh, like the the whole use your ears thing. Uh, it's the the it's not wrong advice, but it doesn't go far enough, right? It's you, it's right. like when we say use mm. your ears, we got to also add on top, like add and explain how to do that. What does what that are you listening mean? for? Right. What are you listening for? You know, right. and um, and when it comes to recording rooms. Um, and you're you and mixing as well. I mean, but like if you're recording and just the sound of your band, the sound that you are recording, you want to develop your taste, which just means you want to figure out what kind of rooms sound you like, mm. right? And that you can get from obviously the recordings, the 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 songs that you like, right? And just pay attention to what the spaces the music sits in, right? Is it a very deep space? Is it a big space? Is it just a small, like comfortable space? You know, mm. just go by. It's it's a lot about feeling, right? And but that's like that's like one distinguishing uh, kind of thing you can look at, right? So just big space versus small space, bright space versus dark space, right? Right? And like with just those two variables, you can already 
categorize and like get an idea of so much uh, so many different types of rooms mm. i mean obviously you can then get into like nitty-gritty details but like um that's i think it's really worth consciously paying attention to what the the rooms and the spaces in the records you like sound like and also what the spaces sound like that you record in right how do they compare well how do they make you feel are they big and like open are they small and like comfortable are they bright are they dark like are they like like um what's the word um uh, slappy <laughs> yeah 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 are they slappy or are they more like fuzzy <laughs> yes i don't know like you know is it like is it like really hard walls which might be nice which will give you that slap back kind of more like ringing kind of thing or or is it more like a really broken up diffuse thing which is just sounds like a, a warm blanket of reverb you know mm. and so those are some things i think it's worth yeah paying attention to and 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 ultimately when you're when you're working out of a certain room you gotta you gotta you gotta know what it's giving you in order to understand how might i use it constructively when is it appropriate for me to use the space that i'm given and when is it maybe when do i maybe change stuff you know right and so yeah awesome so yeah it's a great that's a great discussion i like those two dimensions that you mentioned a lot is you know how how big the room is and versus how bright and how dark it is. So let's say we're in a situation now where we're not thrilled with the sound in our room. So yeah. let's get into some treatment options. What are the yeah. different types and where do we start? What are we considering? Right, right. I mean, it's uh, um, we there, there's a few few kind of um, basic, uh, what's the word, requirements that we have to set or like some, some basic benchmark standards mm -hmm. To understand frames, frame we need to set a frame for what we're working with. Let's say like that, a framework, sure. right? The first one that defines that frame is the fact that we're working on a budget. So we're going to leave out expensive options for now just because we don't have the money to pay for it, right? We're probably right. working from a, a small room, an acoustically small room, right? And I, I like the, the kind of the easiest way to understand what an acoustically small room is, is something that is smaller than your standard school classroom that fits mm. like 30 people, right? Going smaller than that is an acoustically small room. And that has con co uh, that has uh, effects, consequences on what we need to focus on first, right? Now, okay. as I mentioned before, there is, no, there is no definitive goal to reach. There's only a, let's figure out what's wrong and then address that and the first thing that's always going to be wrong in small rooms is this whole reflection issue right or mm. it's something that you need to be aware of and in most cases you will probably want to get rid of right again you can sometimes use it as a creative tool but let's talk about like just very close reflections i mentioned it before when i said that like you can't it's very difficult to get rid of that that those that 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 first uh, part of the reverb those early reflections when when you're mixing right if that's imprinted into the sound it's super hard to do something with that or to take right. it into a direction a different direction and so t in order to give and often oftentimes it just doesn't sound great let's be frank like uh oftentimes it just doesn't sound great and so in most cases what you want to do for to get the biggest bang for your buck in a recording scenario is to 
break up or or somehow get rid of those worst early reflections. And those are always the ones that are going to be the, coming from the surfaces that are closest mm. to your performer and your microphone, right? Because that means that the, they, they tra- have the least distance to travel, which means they're going to be delayed by the least amount. And they're going to be the loudest by the time they arrive at mm. the microphone in relation to all the other reflections because they, they don't have to travel so far, right? So we know the inverse square law, sound decays uh, by 60B that halves in volume with a doubling of distance, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the, those, those, those first reflections that come in from the closest surfaces are always going to be the most messed up ones or the ones that mess up your recording the most, right? And that's what you want to start with. Um, and so it really depends on where your performer and your microphone is in terms of placement. But there's that, that mirror technique that in at least if you've researched treating mixing rooms, I'm sure you've come across. But the basic idea is that it's like playing like sound travels the same path that light would take. Or another al- analogy would be it's like playing pool, right? You have mm. the cue ball, the white cue ball, you have the pocket and you're playing it, uh, uh, you're playing it into the pocket across one surface by bouncing off one surface. So there's always that like inbound angle equals outbound angle sort of thing, right? And so you just kind of got to figure out on all the surfaces that around your performer and your microphone, where would the pool, that cue ball, have to hit the wall to bounce back into the microphone? Yeah, mm-hmm. And you can do that with a mirror, for example, by figuring out, uh, by like kind of sitting at, well, just standing where the performer stands and then somebody puts a mirror on the wall and just kind of moves the, the mirror along the wall like a small, like it doesn't have to be big, you know, a few inches um, and like a makeup mirror or something. And then wherever you see the microphone, that's going to be the, the point where that reflection happens, right? right? And yeah, and so that's that's where you will want to start with your treatment, right? That's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. So now let's talk about the actual treatment. As I mentioned, our budgets are probably pretty limited, right? So there are basically two types of, well, they're kind of, well, let's say there are three options, sort of. There's um, standard porous absorption which is basically a a slab of insulation material or acoustic foam or any open any material with like an open like a porous material where sound can enter like yeah those are the good that's like standard ones obviously you like if you're just improvising you can even use blankets if you want they don't work particularly well but uh, anything that like that will suck up sound broadband it will suck up sound Mm. pretty much across the spectrum like not that it kind of drops off into the the low frequencies uh, that that it's 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 effectiveness um, but generally speaking it absorbs broadband and which makes it really easy to use because wherever you put it it's probably going to work in that frequency range that that you're trying to work on that you're trying to hmm. to address at least broadband meaning like across indiscriminately across the frequency spectrum that's right yeah 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 like broad spectrum if you want yeah so that's our first tool, and obviously that's going to be the one we use. But there's a second one, which is diffusion, right? So these are p- panels that don't absorb sound. They reflect, but break up the sound. They scatter the sound waves as they reflect off of this surface. And then they, they're these pyramid-type looking things, right? Or they, they, they're these slotted things with these slots that have different depths in this, it's kind of this wooden construction. I'm sure you've seen it before. Now, mm. the they work great for what they're what they're built for. The problem with diffusion is, on one hand, that it's much more limited in the frequency spectrum. 
Yeah, so our, our absorber of the mm. same size will usually mm. have work across a broader part of the spectrum. Those diffusers work in a narrower part of the spectrum. Although they, the ones that you can kind of buy online, those standard ones, they do work in a range that is good for vocals, for example, right? Um, uh, but they're more expensive, much more expensive, right? So again, for low budget uh, options, that's uh, or for low budget uh, applications, tricky to invest all that money. And then we have resonance absorbers. So these are kind of a kick drum in reverse is the simplest simplest way to describe mm. it. It's mm. like a, it's like a it's like a box, and then there's some sort of membrane on top, and then the sound pressure, the sound wave hits that membrane, and that delivers a pressure wave into the the box and then inside the box there's some insulation material and that kind of breaks the movement of the sound in the box and that's how this thing absorbs now the the great thing about these is that they're very effective at low frequencies if you build them right uh if you design them right and that's where the crux of the matter is again very expensive and they only work in a very limited frequency range okay so we have different options the cheapest one is also the most broadband working one and the easiest to use. So in a DIY kind of budget scenario, that's the one you should use, right? Mm. Um, and it's obviously it's, it's much lighter. It's much more flexible to use, right? And so there, the kind of only thing you really want to know or you want to pay attention to or you need to understand is that literally to like, well, to like 90, I was going to say to like 95% what matters, but it's not quite that much. But like the most important aspect you need to understand is that the depth of that material determines how low down in frequency it will absorb. It'll absorb everything going up from that, but how down low is it going to absorb? That is determined by the depth of that material. There's all these discussions about like densities and like different types of material and that's all like true, but it's not the main thing you need to pay mm. attention to at first. The first thing you need to pay attention to is the depth of the material. And hmm. from my, in my experience, the sweet spot in increasing that depth and going deeper and deeper and deeper kind of ends at around six to eight inches. Right? Beyond okay. that, hmm. the effectiveness drops off the 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 what the the like the gain you win by going deeper and deeper it kind of it gets less and less it just it just stops being a good increase in you in, in in performance and so it doesn't really you don't really need to go much beyond that but with an absorber panel with a insulation material or an acoustic foam that is six to eight inches deep you can do a lot and um, you can, if you put that right on a wall, it'll absorb down to around about 80 hertz. Hmm. Um, it, like it, it, I mean, we're not getting 100% absorption at 80 hertz, but we're getting around 50%, and that's plenty to do good, good work for us. If we put that thing across a corner, we can get it down to working to roughly 40 hertz. Um, and so there's, there's, there's a, we can play with this, 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 this material core that we now have uh, to 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 gain even more broadband absorption, and so that's what we want to use. That one panel, we want to use to start off with, pretty much wherever we need it. We don't need all these different types of tools, different thicknesses, and all that. We can just use this one tool and focus on controlling those early reflections. Right. Um, on top of that, you might consider 
building a gobo out of it, like so a, a movable panel, right? Mm. So that you gain flexibility in terms of where you place that absorption. Because again, the goal of the sound you're crafting in your room is purely subjective. It's down to you to decide where you want to take things. And uh, and so you there's you need to like well you need to it's it's good to experiment it's good to play around with absorption in different spots placement in different spots you know uh, get experience to how the sound in the room changes as you do that in your recordings right and to to have that flexibility just building gobos is great again based around that same panel right if you want some more isolation between your instruments. At that point, you can maybe think about putting uh, a proper kind of wooden board on the back of it, like sealing it off that absorber basically on on the backside, right? Which is not something you want if you put it on the wall or across a corner or anywhere else. But in that case, you could put like uh, some 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 actual wood on the back of it, and so the front side absorbs, the back side is reflective, um, and it helps. To maybe with like some separation between players, for example, right? I, so. I I did want to ask you about that, and since you brought it up, maybe now's a good time. Um, I've seen, I have some panels that I've I've built myself in my studio, and then I have some panels that I bought, and the ones I bought have this kind of like maybe eighth inch thick wood on the back, and right. I was kind of wondering about that because intuitively to me it makes sense if I'm trying to kill the room. I would think I would want sound to be able to enter from both sides of the panel. So maybe elaborate right. a little bit on that distinction and when you would may want the paneling and back and when you wouldn't want it. Well, generally speaking, you don't want the the you don't want the the the, the back closed off. Okay. Because you want sound to be able to go all the way through and hit the wall behind it. So you can at that point you can move the panel out from the wall. And you can effectively increase the depth of the of your the effective depth of your absorber. Only mm. even though only the kind of the front half of it is material, the back half right. of it can just be air. But it's the entire depth up to the wall that determines down to which frequency this thing is going to absorb. Oh, right. And so you need the back to be open to get that flexibility to mess around with different air gap sizes. All right, or the other way around, or, or, or frame it, or saying it differently. You're you're keep the back open, and whatever air gap you can manage behind it is just going to give you uh, free, better bass absorption, sort of, right? Mm. Um, so with a panel that you use along the perimeter of your room, you definitely want to keep the, the 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 panel the back open. Yeah, even as a gobo, you might want to keep it open, right? I mean, it's. It's again. This is again. This is purely subjective. You know, there's, there's, there, there might be uh, situations where you want higher bleed between your performers. You know, so. Um, but if you if you put a panel on the back of it, and now you put this thing freestanding in a room somewhere, mm -hmm. that back panel effectively becomes the back wall for this isolated absorber that's standing around somewhere. Right. So waves that hit this. This gobo will inter. What well, they will they will if the it all depends on the wavelength, right? So like depending on how big this gobo is, there's either you got always you always have to keep in mind if you're trying to figure out what sounds gonna how sound is gonna interact with something. The first thing you want to figure out is how big is this thing in relation to wavelengths, mm. because that's gonna tell you uh, at at what frequency waves are gonna start in quotation marks seeing 
this object, right? Because waves hmm. interact with an object whose which whose size is roughly the same as the wavelength. Mm. Yeah? Or frequencies, sound waves interact with an object that are roughly the size of its wavelength and bigger, right? So, uh, so if we're talking about a, a gobo that you built uh, that is maybe, I don't know, uh, six feet tall, right? Six feet times three feet sort of size, yeah? With a, dia- with a diagonal of, yeah, let's say roughly six feet, Um so we're talking what two meters here? Uh, what's that frequency wise? So three meters roughly is a hundred is a hundred hertz. So we're talking like a hundred hertz, one hundred fifty hertz, two hundred hertz upwards, something like that, mm. right? Sound waves will see that gobo. Mm. Sound waves or frequencies lower than a hundred hertz don't see this gobo because they're too big and they just mm. bend around it, right? But so you get to you 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 kind of get to 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 understand or to guesstimate. How this thing's gonna affect sound uh, sound waves hitting it, you know? So like your your six six feet across six feet, feet diagonal gobo is gonna absorb sound probably upwards of a hundred hertz, mm. and everything uh, everything else is gonna bend around it, you know? And so gotcha. uh, that's a that's a, like a, a sort of a, a very quick and dirty way to get an idea of how this thing's gonna work. Right? So one thing that immediately jumps out to me in your whole conversation especially when you're talking about the the depth of our absorption is directly related to how low of frequencies we could capture. The first thing that jumps out to me is, well, what about all this acoustic film I see on Amazon yeah. for 20 bucks? Yeah. Why is it so popular? Because it's cheap. <laughs> and it gets good Amazon reviews. <laughs> I mean, like, this stuff does exactly what it's built to do. But it's not built to absorb frequencies that are interesting for us. <laughs> that's the it's it's the wrong tool for the job. That's the that's the thing. It's like if you want to eat soup, use a spoon. Like a fork is a great tool to eat food, but <laughs> it's not the right tool to eat a soup. Right? You need a spoon. You know, and it's kind of like right. that as well. Right? So so acoustic foam just works at, at very high frequencies, and it does that marvelously well. Is that what we need? No. So, so that's why it's, 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 uh, I, like, it, I, yeah, you want to stay away from acoustic foam. But let me ask you this, like, let's say, all right, so I bought acoustic foam because it's cheap and then I layered it. So it's 10 inches thick. What's, yeah. what's that going to do for me? That's probably going to work like roughly like a 10 inch absorber. Yeah. I mean, the stuff is, is designed probably to be, to, to have the right density for that one inch thickness. Mm. Right. So they they probably if it's meant if it's properly designed, it's it's going to be optimized in terms of its density to stop the sound wave across exactly that one that one inch that it's deep. Right. Potentially. Yeah. So if you stack it up, it's it's too dense for that depth. Probably. (laughs) Mm. Right. So that's why you it's probably it, it, it probably works better than you expect. Yeah, but it's not ideal because it's it's meant to be used at one inch depth. I see. So I'm 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 wondering like all all things being equal, if I have you know six inches of fiberglass versus yeah. six inches of foam, that's yeah. where is that where density comes into play? Is one going to give me? That's right. So greater density at at a given thickness, greater density will extend you further into the low frequency range. No. No, so again, only depth matters. The density is going to determine how well it does that. Okay. 
So it's okay, efficiency. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, it's efficiency, you could say. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. To some extent, it affects the frequencies involved as well, but not nearly as much as the actual depth of the material. Yeah. So okay. when you from a from a from a if you're if you're picking a, a, a ideal in an ideal scenario, you're picking or you're trying to design a porous absorber, you first figure out what depth you need so that it gets down to the frequencies that you need. And then you optimize the density for that depth. So it's as effective as possible at that depth. Awesome. Yeah. That's an awesome explanation. So yeah, this comes back to that where you have physical wavelengths. So that's what you care about is actual physical dimensions, right? For that's right. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly okay. right. Yeah. That's a good explanation. Yeah. Not not to, and not to harp on this too much, but I just want to give our listeners like maybe uh, at least the general number of like this cheap foam. What frequencies is that actually affecting? Is that above five thousand hertz or even higher than that? Um. So two inches. What two and a half centimeters? Uh. My God. Calculating this in my head now, but it's gonna. I mean, we're talking kilohertz. Definitely high kilohertz. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Let me, don't force me to do it in my head right now. It's no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> and then inches and like imperial metric, I get all confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up though, because I think it's important. The reason it's it's not useful is because the problem frequencies are much lower than that when you're recording and capturing stuff. Well, the stuff that is really problematic you know, like uh, there's certain stuff that happens up there that you might want to take care of as well. Sure. But the stuff that is like the the, the thing that's going to move the needle happens in the low yeah. frequencies and the mid frequencies, you know? Yeah. Stuff up there isn't going to improve anything for you. I'm glad you uh, are keeping the listeners in mind, Ben, because I'm at this point, I'm just focused. I'm just taking notes and focused on learning <laughs> myself. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. but no, so I mean, this is we, we talked about this in the I think a little bit in the Acoustics 101 episode where. I, you know, it depends in part on your on your source a little bit because if you've ever like gone apartment hunting and you walk into a bare apartment room, you can get that you just with no furniture in it, you get that really tinny kind of garbage echo just from speaking in that room. If you yeah. are recording vocals and that's all you care about, I think the foam will do stuff for you, right? For the for human voice, it's once yeah. you get into the yeah to some extent, but again, like we're talking high kilohertz, you know, and like the that's where this foam works, like, right? Yeah, probably like seven, eight, 10 kilohertz upwards, something like that. You know, I mean, it's super, super thin. And right. so, but the, the problems that reflections cause go down, well, at least, uh, well, rule of thumb, very, very roughly speaking, around 100 hertz. There's even stuff that happens something mm -hmm. below that certain, certain aspects of it, right? But uh, we're talking this whole range between 100 hertz and wherever that foam starts doing something. <laughs> yeah where the foam doesn't do anything at all. And you're still getting all those effects in the, the music that you record, right? So the, 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 the reflections causing comb filters, but because they're delayed, they're also masking what you're doing, right? So they're, they're masking the sound um, and they're, they're messing up with, with they mess, mess with the, the kind of the, the, the localization of where stuff actually is. You know, well, well, this is mixing room stuff. It doesn't really happen like that, in, I guess, with one microphone in a recording scenario. But um, um, so there's, there's that whole part of the spectrum where foam isn't doing anything for you, and, but all the problems are still there. And now you might go into a room like that and you speak and your brain tells you, whoa, it sounds kind of dry, you know, um, mm. because you're you're not really paying proper attention and it just kind of feels like that intuitively. Mm. But ultimately, that's not what happens, you know? And so, I mean, 
again something to pay attention to when when you're when you're when you're in a in a room like another another indicator that's going to tell you how how what the situation is like is is speech intelligibility or in other words how well do you understand each other yeah it's 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 the same part of that effect that we talked about before where you want to turn up the volume right so if you for, mm -hmm. for example if you're in a cafe and you know how it's really now loud and noisy and buzzy and everybody's kind of shouting Mm. it's exactly that effect right the room uh reflects energy in a way that masks sound and so you're tr you're you're trying to compensate that with volume right by speaking louder and uh so that's something that you can pay attention to in your recording room in your band practice room like if you're if you're If you're the bassist and you're talking to the drummer, who I don't know is how far <laughs> away, you know, and and you're just like, what the fuck is he saying? I mean, you know, like you can't hear him properly, maybe because the guitarist is just playing his stupid little riff exactly <laughs> at that point when you're trying to say something. <laughs> stupid guitarist, know? yeah. Stupid guitarist, and so um, uh, that would that tells you something, right? And if if it's if it's a strain on your speaking, if it's a strain on your your understand, your your being able to understand then there's probably room to improve things. I am curious, this is maybe more of a mixing related question, but you know, a lot of what you do is is design, is uh, helping people get their heads around bass trapping. Right. How is a bass trap different than just a thicker absorber? We talk about porous media absorber. <laughs> yeah. It's not? Okay. It's not, it's not. <laughs> I mean, bass traps, it's just one of those terms that like, uh, it's a very unfortunate pick for a name, right? Because mm. Ultimately, I mean, if you're talking about a bass trap, it's trapping bass. Huh. Okay, so it's kind of like it's kind of like a, like the lid opens, the bass goes in, and then the lid shuts, and it's like a come bear trap. Yeah, you know? it's like a bear <laughs> trap. And um, so, and I mean, it's still it's it's uh, obviously in a way, and uh, it's it's it is kind of like that because it absorbs the bass, and the the bass doesn't kind of come back out. But like, what people use the term bass traps for is usually a broadband absorber, one of those porous absorbers, those insulation material absorbers that I was talking to you uh, about before, um, that are deep enough so that they also absorb some bass. Yeah, so they should really be called broadband traps that also absorb some bass. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what they should be called. Um, that's what people usually refer to when they say bass trap. Right? There are proper base absorbers that are meant to only absorb base those are those resonance absorbers that i was talking about before so those those devices that work like a kick drum in reverse right and they're they they are actual base traps right in the sense that they only work on the low end part of the spectrum um but so yeah uh it's a it's a confusing term we tend to kind of use in this kind of diy community we we tend to use the term base traps for a deeper porous absorber uh -huh. um, okay where and i would say i mean basically i would say if you're just starting out don't get anything else but these kinds of base traps because everything else is a is a waste of money you want to you to get the best bang for your buck you always want the the deepest absorption you can get away with and so uh only use base traps everywhere <laughs> basically gotcha yeah that makes sense What do you what are you recommending these days for material? I know we've we've talked about a couple of different options. There's you know, there's a fiberglass and there's some newer materials I saw that are made out of like 
saw a cool one that's like recycled blue jeans. Yeah, and yeah. The coefficients seem pretty good. What are you What are you kind of recommending these days? Simple answer: focus on or or if you can, unless you absolutely have to pick something else, use uh, uh, mineral wool, so stone wool or fiberglass, uh, because it's relatively predictable <laughs> for hmm. what it does. Uh, so this this whole thing, the, the problem with all this density talk and the different materials is that it's super hard to accurately quantify, to actually ac- accurately measure. And uh, yeah, for the start, let's start there. Just accurately measure how this thing actually performs. And so the, the specs you get on this material are super, su- have like super high tolerances. It's like, it's like if you guy, mm. it's, it's kind of like if you go and buy an electric car and, well, any car <laughs> and uh, you go to the shop and then you guy go like, I want to, I want to, I want to go on holiday with my family. And the guy's like, yeah, this car is awesome. It goes somewhere between 200 and 500 miles <laughs> on, a, on a gas <laughs> tank, on a, on a, on a, full, a full tank of gas. And, and then it's just like, yeah, but like, so how many stops do I need to do if I want to go like a thousand miles? And he's just like. Well, you're just going to have to kind of figure that out as you go along. You know? You're just going to have to start driving and then the tank might be empty at some point. That's when you're going to have to get gas, you know? And it's kind of like that. And it's like, well, so what? It's just a lottery if I can go 500 miles or 200 miles with this car. And basically that's kind of how it is with this, this density, the density in this material. Is that because of just like like manufacturing discrepancies? It just can't con- consist Manufacturing discrepancies? Yeah. Okay. So, so for example, these let's consider like acoustic foam because it's easier to imagine. So they 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 pour the stuff, as far as I know, in big blocks. But because of gravity, the bottom bunch gets compressed mm. more than the top layers, and so and once they get out this big block, then they then they take it over to a saw and they cut it into slabs, and the slabs coming out of the bottom part are higher density than the ones coming out of the mm. top part of that block, mm. for example. Yeah. Um, on top of that, actually measuring the specs is surprisingly difficult to do accurately. Yeah. So because it's all based about around measuring differences in reverb time, like before and after, and it's surprisingly difficult to actually measure reverb times accurately at low frequencies because of this standing wave thing that I was talking about before. Mm. Like these standing waves, they kind of mess up your reverb time measurements. And so there's another component in this chain of quantifying the specs on this material that is also also involves high tolerances right so you get tolerances from the material from the manufacturing you get tolerances from when they actually measure the stuff to define its specs and uh, that kind of that adds up you know so um that's why it's with this density with picking the right material it's it's pretty pretty tricky the good thing is depth matters more than density <laughs> right right so um yeah. So since we we're gonna we're gonna have such a tough time finding the right density anyway, why don't we just make sure we're in the ballpark and then we focus on the the depth aspect because that's yeah. gonna move the needle much more than the actual density thing. And we're gonna get whatever we're gonna get with this density thing. It's like playing the lottery to some extent, you know. So it's not worth obsessing about it because right. you can't change what you're given. Right. So the best you can do is kind of narrow it down to kind of the the most uh, reliable material that you can find of which you know that it will probably work. And that is mineral wool. With this blue jean stuff, with all this, uh, this, uh, like natural hemp, all this kind of stuff. 
Does it absorb sound? Yes. Does it work? <laughs> yes. Does it possibly work better than insulation material? Maybe, but you're never going to find out, <laughs> right, right. right? Unless you do a lot of work with it. And so if you're just doing this for the first time, or if you're if you're not someone who's going to like build hundreds of rooms and gain that experience with different types of material, stick to what works. Mm. Yeah, because you might end up picking picking something that does not work, and uh, or just isn't is just yeah just bad bad uh, bad bang for your buck basically. You know, and so gotcha. um, so that's why it's worth focusing on those on on mineral wool or stone wool and fiberglass. And again, ballpark right you what you're really trying to optimize is the 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 gas flow resistance so how much this material resists air molecules trying to push through them move through them or like rub against them and um um again a really hard number to find a lot of these products are never measured they never measure that actual number they never give you that number in the specs if you if you can find it, great. But in then in most cases, it's a super inaccurate number because it's super hard to test for it. So again, we're left with the same problem. And another way to do it is to look at just weight, unit weight, because mm. in stone wool and fiberglass, the weight of the material roughly correlates with the the actual gas flow resistance. And so you can you can substitute one for the other and weight. A material weight is uh, is a number that you can find much more frequently than gas flow resistance, right? And so gotcha. you want to kind of look out for for that, and that's usually me- measured in pounds per foot cubed, and you want to hit something like two two point five pounds per foot cubed in 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 unit weight for an absorber that is six to eight inches deep. All right, <laughs> that's an important number, important number right there to remember. Yeah. Goldilocks. I'm giving you gold here. Remember it. Yeah. Cool. So I think you've talked, you, you hit on this already. So just, just maybe touch on it explicitly on, on the importance of measuring your room or some, or quantifying what you're, what you're getting. Is this something you're recommending people do or don't even worry about it? Kind of stick with what works and what you get is what you get. Yeah. I mean, again, difference between a mixing room and a recording room, but we're talking about recording rooms here. Right. And I mean, right. I don't recommend it for beginners in a mixing room, and in a, in a in a recording room, there's even less point to it. And the reason is because the sound that you're aiming for is purely subjective. So even if you measure, what are you going to compare those measurements with? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, so what what's going to tell you in which direction to take that room? Yeah, you still need to decide that. First of all, and mm. and. And so those measurements in itself, by themselves, don't tell you much yeah, uh, of what to do um, or in what's, what's, what a problem, in quotation marks, is with that room. The other problem is that, the, the, um, that well, very practically speaking, where are you going to put the speaker and the microphone that you're measuring with? Because you, you, ideally, you'd want to measure that for each different combination of performer and microphone. Mm. Because... The, the room will have a different response where the drummer sits in comparison to where the guitarist stands or the, the guitarist's cab is, right? So what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna test all those different locations by measuring all of them and then kind of, and then what? <laughs> sort of thing, right? right. The other thing is, the other thing is uh, a speaker is not, does not play sound in the same way as an instrument or a singer. 
Yeah, the, the 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 way the sound comes out of the speaker, the dispersion characteristics are very different, and they they vary from instrument to instrument dramatically. Mm. So the room's gonna the the sound is gonna start bouncing around in the room differently depending on what instrument plays, just because of how that instrument directs sound into the room right yeah and so yeah so the rooms if you do it all with a speaker with a standard like studio monitor you're only getting the image the, the kind of uh, you're getting the only insight you're getting into what that speaker does at that location in this room but to then to then discern from that how that relates to actual instruments being in the room well, good luck with yeah. that sort of yeah. thing, right? So, so that's why it's 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 a little pointless to measure a recording room. There are certain, obviously, certain certain situations where you might want to do that. So, in a really high end situation, if you're, for example, you really like the sound in a different recording room, so what you might want to do is somehow categorize that sound through certain measurements in that other room, and you would mm. would do that with a, a special speaker designed for acoustic measurements and so there are these there are these like it's like a it's like a ball with like speakers on all sides and so it's meant mm. to give you even dispersion in all directions and so you could use that to at least get a benchmark measurement that is always the same no matter what room you're measuring in yeah you still have to then interpret that into into something that you want to hear in the room you still have to relate that, but then you could you could use those measurements from a different recording room, and try and replicate those same measurements in your room, for example, or at least get an idea of what the the what the the goal is that you're aiming for. But this is super high end stuff, and it really it's it's very hard to do. You need big rooms to have the space to right. to 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 change the sound in that way, right? So this isn't something that you would want to do in a in a, in a small recording room because it's very hard to do and you probably don't have the space or the budget or the time to do it anyway right so you can kind of skip the measurements yeah that makes a lot of sense the way you explained it and the contrast there of course with mixing is when you do have speakers you do have your fixed pair of monitors and you also have a fixed listening position that's exactly so, right so measurement might make more sense in uh, in a situation like that yeah okay yeah and there are proper there are potentially proper goals to pursue you know, mm, right? You right. might say, "I want a certain decay time at this in this particular frequency range," and that's my goal. So you work towards that. You know, if only there was some place I could learn to build these things. <laughs> hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing you the alley oop there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully by the time this comes out, you'll be, you'll be able to to get instructions on how to build that on my website, AcousticsInsider.com. Thanks for awesome. that. Um, <laughs> so um, you can definitely find that there if you want to, yeah. All right. Well, honestly, I could talk about this forever, but I know it's Friday night in <laughs> Berlin, so I don't want to tie you up. I'm fr it's Friday night. I can talk all night. Yeah, yeah. But maybe your podcast shouldn't go for hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody, if you are not subscribed to Yesco's email list, go to his website right now, Acoustics Insider. There's a lot of great information there. I appreciate it. Uh, I know. I always look forward to it whenever I get emails from you. Yeah, and and I mean, I'm I'm pr I'm somewhat bad at writing uh, consistent emails every week, but 
But that's good. Honestly, <laughs> if I get too many happen. emails from somebody, like Universal Audio sends me like three emails a day. I, I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking about unsubscribing. I don't want to read that many emails. It's just yeah, giving me yeah. chores to do. So I think uh, I think you got a good thing going. I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. And uh, I learned a lot. Sure. I mean, I got a lot of, I'm excited to listen through this again when I, uh, when I do the editing because I think I'm going to pick up some more. Cool. Even the second time around, and uh, yeah, let people know where they can uh, they can find you. We'll definitely link it in the show notes as well. But just uh, say anything you yeah, want to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I for those of you who kind of want to dive a bit deeper or just want to kind of summarize in a bit more uh, digestible way that you can take along with you, I've prepared uh, a PDF that you can download. Standard stuff. Leave your email, and you get the the PDF uh, with a lot of the stuff that we talked about just in, in awesome. this in this in this podcast, and and just kind of putting a bit more context in it. Five steps to recording room acoustics on a budget and why it's nothing like treating a mixing room. Uh, so you can get that uh, at uh, acousticsinsider.com forward slash DIY recording guys all in one. So uh, that's where you can get that. And uh, yeah, I, if you guys can link that, that would be awesome. Obviously. Absolutely. All right, Yesco. Well, thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Cool. This has been fun. Good questions. Just do it again sometime. Yeah, totally down round two and then round three and at some point we'll do like a deep dive into Helmholtz absorbers uh, I want to do the whole thing man I want to learn it all <laughs> let's let's dive deep into what is like some super niche thing that is yeah. super nerdy yeah, and totally useless <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah cool all right guys thanks a lot it's thank you fun. yeah thanks again If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support See you next week.